Welcome to the Deep Printer Movies Podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deep Printer Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I am joined by actor, producer, and co-founder of Gummy Films, Pauline Chalamet. Pauline, you may know from the Judd Apatow movie, The King of Staten Island, the HBO comedy series, The Sex Lives of College Girls. She is also in the Gummy-produced feature, What Doesn't Float, a strange anthology of New York tales. And yeah, she's producing loads of cool stuff with Gummy Films. She's really smart. She's really into books. I had a great time talking to her. This is me and Pauline Chalamet. good sorry about all the zoom zoom is just killing my life recently it doesn't it's it's had enough of being so useful it's exhausted yeah we've overused zoom it needs a break um how are you good i think we're launching this new movie night where it's uh you get a slice of pizza you go to the movie you go to a bar afterwards for a drink and the whole event is 10 pound it's like the cheapest, best night out. That's great. Where is it? It's in East London, kind of like the Brooklyn of yeah. of London. Um, and wait, and and for the pub after, is it um everybody just gets one drink and then they can buy more or no? We've got to deal with these guys Brooklyn Lager, where I think it's going to be super cheap drinks, but we've got really sick DJs. My friend who DJs for Frank Ocean's radio show. Oh, love it. We'll be playing, so everything is sick. That sounds great. I woke up this morning, like, being, like, having the desire to... I've been getting into a lot of British authors lately, and I uh, was like, oh, I really would want to go to a used bookshop in London. Oh, dude, I've got the spot. Yeah. Okay, great. So you'll have to recommend that, and then maybe if I do pop over to London... Um, it'll be on one of the movie nights. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I can take you to all the best weird bookstores and junk stores. Have you ever seen the British comedy Black Books? No. Okay, it's a it's a British com it's a dark British comedy about a guy, the grouchiest guy ever, who runs a secondhand bookshop in London. And this bookshop has this this bookshop has this energy. Okay, we had to just write it down because I think that's going to be right up my alley. It's called Black Books. Yeah. Okay. There's even one thing where I, th- I think some guy is really into a book. He's reading in the shop, so he starts selling him a few pages at a time and stuff is really funny. Or he chucks people out just because they're having too much fun. It's really good. Oh, I love that. I love that. I will watch. My my go-to bookshop is in Notting Hill. It's a like a big second-hand bookshop and they've got a sign on the counter like, no, we are not the fucking bookshop from the Hugh Grant movie Notting Hill. Oh like, my God. It's like, look around. So let's start at the beginning. What yeah. kind of teenager were you? I think I was a pretty rambunctious teenager. I did a pretty good job at hiding it from some people. Right. Um, wait, did you get aware of everything? Were you like that sibling who like, yeah, I kind of, well, you know, older siblings, um, I think generally get away with less, right? Yeah. But I think I got away with a good amount. Um, my friend and I would call it scheming. (laughs) Like we felt like we were always scheming, like, oh my gosh, it's time to scheme. So I was pretty good at scheming. I I don't know if my parents turned a blind eye or if I was actually 
or if they actually just thought she's doing normal teenager things and mm-hmm. gave me an appropriate amount of liberty. I don't know the answer to that, but I think I was a teenager who in school I got by. Um, like I, if I liked a teacher, I excelled in the class. So it wasn't yeah. about the subject matter. It was about the teacher. And I was always just trying to get away with as much as I can. It's like, oh, I don't have to fully do this, but it can seem like I did. I'll just, I'll do. So it felt like in all arenas, I was just scheming and getting away with as little as possible. Um, But I guess as a teenager still, I was doing ballet, a lot of ballet. I was at the School of American Ballet and then at a place called Manhattan Youth Ballet. And I guess when I was in the ballet classes, that was like 90 minutes a day of just pure seriousness. So maybe it was a form of rebelling against that. But uh, I was like, I was a schemey teenager. What kind of bad stuff were you getting up to? What's like the most crazy thing you can share? Like, I think the craziest thing I can share is at maybe 16 or 17 being outside one of New York City's nightclubs, barely dressed in the dead heart of winter and just standing out front with my friend and waiting for like a promoter to notice us and a promoter did notice us and then we were allowed in and the bouncer or the promoter said, you... I guess I didn't have a fake ID and he's like, you just have to show something. So anything that you had, and all I had was a Metro card. And he's like, you can just show them. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I went in and it was like, you know, cranberry vodkas galore. And, uh, but you know, I got it out of my system because by the time yeah. I was age, I was, had no interest in going to the clubs. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I, I, we had the meet me in the bathroom documentary guys on the pod and they were talking like you know about nightlife you know about the indie sleeves and i was like if i'm real i think i've been to a club 20 times in my life like it was just never for me and um, they kind they kind of had to be like no that's cool i was like it's really not you don't have to hold it back but yeah the, club, <laughs> the, club, the nightlife was never for me i couldn't yeah yeah it was uh it, it came and went in my yeah. So when did you get into dance? I was always in ballet. So I, my family, you know, my grandmother was a dancer, Broadway dancer. My mom was a Broadway dancer. Um, my mom had gone to the School of American Ballet. And then I had auditioned, I guess, when I was like eight or nine and got in. And then spent my childhood doing all of dancing with the New York City Ballet whenever there were like kids involved. So, you know, Nutcracker, or Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, and I just continued that it becomes quite serious at a young age that I'd say it around like 10 or 11, it's kind of, it's like almost every day, if not every day. And, um, and I just continued that, continued with that, um, was kind of dead set on being a ballet dancer. Um, and then I got into a bad bike accident uh at 16 when I was leaving high school um to actually go to a rehearsal because I would had been cast on this like NBC pilot and I was going to it and I got hit by a cab and then shattered my collarbone and it was the first time in my life where I was out and I couldn't dance for like three or four months at least and it was kind of an awakening of sorts. It was like, oh, there's a life outside of this. Yeah. Um, and kind of all the normal teenager things of going out, um, like hanging out after school or getting a snack with your friends after school and all this were so were not something I grew up with. And I started to be able to do that. And I was like, I kind of like this too. So that yeah. was that was the up and the and the down. <laughs> I got hit by a car and broke my collarbone as a kid. No way. Yeah, I was crossing the lights at Christmas and there was two kind of really frantic levels of traffic. So I thought once, if the light's red, I'm going to run and just go blast through both lanes. And just as I ran, the lights changed and I got clipped by a wing mirror. And then 
felt don't know what happened fell down got up and i was like i'm okay and then whoop, my arm just went yeah because it's a weird bone to break you can't so weird in a cast either no super painful and you're just like kind of in a sling like yes walking like this and it gets all swollen it was like i don't know what it woke me up from but it was like a wake up (laughs) how's about trying to get out of bed in the morning that was the craziest part of my day it it took like i had to sleep with like pillows up and i was like like lying back yes it was so bad my my dad bless him was like i'm going to install like a bath bar on the side of your wall so you can pull yourself up and i'm like i'm not 87 thank you but i i was just like i should have got it the pain was fucking unbelievable trying to Do you have a titanium plate no it kind of set but this arm still gets i sound like grandpa it gets cold in the winter and it kind of <laughs> It's um yeah, it's a little bit stiffer than the other one, but other than that, it's it's okay. Uh yeah. It's a longer arm. <laughs> so I've I've recently got kind of obsessed with Bob Fosse. And I'm trying to work my way into musicals and song and dance. Love it. What are your bangers? What would be your starter pack for because it's a kind of a love hate or people haven't tried it or don't want to get it in in a musical. No. I know people are so reluctant. There's something, I I don't really get the reluctance because I feel like musicals, they kind of satisfy the itch of like, you know, like a, a movie that, you know, sometimes you put on a movie or maybe you don't, maybe nobody else does this, but like you're kind of, in the mood to cry or you feel a little like sad. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. When you put on a movie, you kind of know it's going to do that or feel can do that. And I feel like musicals like scratch that itch or yeah, scratch that itch. Like they, they, you can be so moved. And I think also going to a performing arts high school where there was a lot of musicals, a lot of the amazing, um, you know, professional musical directors who would come in and direct these shows. They often said the same thing, which really stuck with me which is in musical theater and i am no expert by any means but i enjoy a good musical um but in musical theater you're it's a play and the stakes get so high that the talking doesn't really suffice anymore and you have to break out into song right and i've always like loved that because it makes i i I basically go to musicals and i think that um so I don't know. I, I love a chorus line because mm-hmm. a chorus line was so um, important in just changing musical theater generally. It was like the first time that it was the the play within the play kind of. You were seeing what happens behind the scenes. Uh, so I I have a real soft spot for a chorus line. I love just generally like Little Shop of Horrors. I love mm-hmm. Cabaret. Um 42nd street uh those are like i'd have to say my top you know i remember like when wicked came out when i was a kid i was totally obsessed with that so obsessed with i remember being so obsessed with legally blonde when that came out because there's a whole number where they're literally jump roping and singing at the same time although someone recently told me that there were probably like background singers so that the people right. could maybe not sing, but because but it really looks like they're just sure. jump roping. Um, the spectacle is kind of amazing. I, although I have seen some musicals where I've been like, "This is this is not good," and I'm ready to leave. Right. I've, I I I like all that jazz. I've, love I've enjoyed, all that. Jazz. I love all jazz. I like cabaret. Company is being alive is my favorite. Did you see the documentary? Um, yes that's what uh, that, that that's what got me i i got invited to criterion someone recommended company the documentary and, and then the original cast recording yeah I cr- yeah when i watch that i cry that's one of the things i can put on if i'm in the mood to cry i'll watch that documentary yeah because i was like these people are fucking giving it their all and there's i think there's one woman and she's trying to go for a take and she's not nailing it but she sounds yeah. brilliant she sounds brilliant but she's beating herself up Elaine uh, Stitch, Elaine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yes, yeah. And Soddenheim's just been such a taskmaster. He's like, no, again. And I'm like, that was fucking genius. What more <laughs> do you want? And he's like, 
this ain't it. This is shit. We're just getting warmed up. And I'm like, whoa. Ugh, and I, I was like, just that ex. Yeah. I think being alive is so beautiful and so sad beautiful. and ranching. Yeah. Spring Awakening, the musical too, was the music in that was pretty good. Um, I, I remember being a teenager and really loving that. Oh, and hair. I actually hair was, um, I think it like premiered on Broadway in the sixties. Yeah. And my grandmother had seen it and she would always say like, it was so risque. Like I had never seen anything like this. She, she, she had done like 42nd street, you know, kiss me Kate, like very traditional musicals. And in high school, they did a revival of hair that my mom took me to see. And I was obsessed. I mean, I was like, this is a musical I want to be in. This is, I feel this musical. And then I started cutting school on Wednesdays for maybe about a month to go to the matinees because I wanted to watch. I, I loved it so much. Um, and, uh, and I think I would like convince one different friend each week. To come. <laughs> That's cool. What age was, was this before the accident? Was this still in your dance era or after? It was in the same era. It might've been, right after the accident maybe it was right after the accident and how did you reckon with your injury and no longer dancing and stuff well you know what's funny i'll tell you this i remember sitting in the bedroom of a friend who um lived in my building who i had gone to school with a few years in middle school um, we were just at different like public schools. We never really went to school together, but we were building friends. And I remember one afternoon after school, I went over to, I was in my building, but I went over to her house and I was sitting on her couch and we were kind of just chatting and gossiping about different friends and what was going on. And I remember having the thought, like, I've never done this. Whoa. I've never just after school hung out with someone and who doesn't go to my school, you know, like really just a friend mm. and chatted with them about what's going on in school or what's, what the, what the drama or the tea in today's lingo is. And I just remember that. And I don't know, I think I was so excited to have this, all this free time that in the moment I was really grateful for it. Um, but I think also it was very stressful because my life had been so long defined by these rules. Mm -hmm. um, but then a door opened where it was like, oh my gosh, you don't have to do one thing. Maybe that's why today I'm kind of okay with doing multiple things, even though I feel like it's shaving years off my life. But <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, oh, I can, I can have time to do other things. And that was kind of the mindset I was in when I went to university. I was like, oh, I can do multiple things. So I think that followed me for a while. Maybe I've never really addressed what it did to me. To okay. be <laughs> yeah. No, it's kind of weird. When you're young, you just bounce back so quickly. You don't get so... Now I I wallow <laughs> and, yeah. you know, just go in an existential spiral about almost everything. But when you're looking back... When you're a kid, it's like, damn, now it's fucked up. We move. And I just kind of bounce back. I kind of envy that in a little way, but I'm not <laughs> just so uh, full of existential dread every day over incidents and right. know, things that life throws at you, literally, and stuff. You said, I asked this because I'm obsessed with this also, you saw Lee Schreiber in talk radio and oh you said God. that. Because I'm I'm so obsessed with the movie talk radio and Eric Bogosian's performance oh. and basically Eric in general. I'm kind of a. I remember the feeling of sitting in the show and being like, I don't even know how old I was. I was either like preteen or teen. First of all, literally being turned on by this man and having like feelings awakening of like, wow, this guy is such a rebel, and look at him, and the laughing out loud i i'm so i i'm obsessed with that performance it lives free in my mind and i'm so grateful for it and i i met Liev schreiber once 
and at like a, a, a you know like a Hollywood mingling mm. things and and I went up to him and I told him this and he had the best response he said this he's like thank you for saying this I know what it's like to go up to someone who you admire and say something and I really appreciate you saying this to me or something like that mm-hmm. um and that always stuck with me because I thought it was handled with such grace, like not just like, oh, yes, thank you so much. Or, oh, my God, you saw that and kind of brushing it off. But he recognized the importance that that performance had had. And I was very impressed with that. Oh, I'm obsessed with him and that play. Love the play. How about the movie? Do you enjoy the movie? Have you gone to the movie? So, or was that your no, I first? No, I just saw the play. And you know what? I'm thinking like... I I've never seen the movie. Oh, the movie! It's my favorite Oliver Stone movie. I will have to check it out. But yeah, it, it kind of made me obsessed with radio, and I saw that Christian Slater uh, pump up the volume movie around the same time, and I'm like, I need to be a pirate radio DJ. Just you know, <laughs> talking the truth on air, and just like playing my 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 grunge CDs and stuff. That was yeah. Oh, I figured out why I connected those two things. Because they both have talk radio and um, there was this other play, Little Murders. And I think that I like read them at the same time. And I think they will forever live in my brain at the same time. (laughs) But talk, I I will never, I mean, the whole, the play that I saw with Leop Schreiber was set in just one, it was just in the radio booth. The- yeah yeah did they have callers phoning in did you get like external voices yeah or? yeah they had callers phoning in and then they would have you know like i can't remember if it's his assistant or the one who does the crazy monologue with sticking her hand in the garbage disposal yes um, yeah uh i love that i love that character and and uh she was a real person there were like a few other real people but i think a lot of them were called in which was part of the beauty because you just saw his reaction. I just remember at one point him walking around with like a giant Nazi flag on the back. Like he had put it on like a- Whoa. And like- Yeah, he gets sent it in the mail, right? Exactly. And someone's like talking to him and he's just pacing back and forth with this thing. And I was like, what is going on? But it was so, it was so good. The play was so good. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Mubi. Mubi is a creator streaming service dedicated to bringing you the best in cinema. I've been a Mubi subscriber for years and I want to give you guys three of my favorites from the UK Mubi platform. Okay, I'm going to dig in. The Clash, Rude Boy. So I saw this back on VHS when I was at college in the 90s and video stores were still a thing and my local video store well okay I'll be real I was a member of four video stores but one of them had this deal of like five movies for five pounds for five days and to be honest I probably rent about I do ten for five days because I have no chill but anyway I rented Rude Boy and it was great it was like it was weird the clash are playing themselves but they've got an actor who's playing a version of himself trying to get in with the clash and join the tour and become a roadie and it's weird it's just so meta and way ahead of its time second one is two lovers by james gray who made the films Ad Astra, We Own the Night, um, was The Yards, Armageddon Time. Cool connection. Armageddon Time is also a Clash song. Seamless. 
But Two Lovers is probably my favorite. It's a love story starring Joaquin Phoenix and Gwyneth Paltrow. And for my money, this is Joaquin's best ever performance. It's a real beautiful, sad, understated love story. That's pick two. My third choice is Under the Silver Lake by David Robert Mitchell. Okay, hear me out. This is a love it or hate it movie. I love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's one of the best movies about LA. It's dark. It's weird. It's sinister. Romantic. Digging into all the dark history of Hollywood and the creepy stuff that lays beneath the surface and comes out at night. I think it's great. I've never let you down yet. Take my word for it. And here's the good part. You can watch all these movies and more for free. Just sign up to movie.com slash deeper into movies for 30 days of movie for free. Movie.com slash deeper into movies. When did you decide to move into... Oh, you're already doing TV, right? You started in TV doing roles. Kind of, kind of. I was really doing the ballet. I was really doing the ballet. I would kind of audition for um, things from time to time. I don't think that that, like, child agent really liked me. Like, I remember once I when she like wanted me she had me into her office and asked me to do like a jingle for like a chewing gum commercial and you know like hold up the pack in front of her and be like yeah. hey, it tastes great and I did that line and then she like saw my mom and was like she she should see an acting coach if she wants to pretend. whoa that's fucking savage yeah I know it's like <laughs> like my memory I don't know how old I was and I was just doing the ballet thing but I a lot of the um TV things that I was doing were linked to the ballet thing, like that uh, right. pilot for NBC or whatever. That was because I was a dancer in it. And same with like, I did like a stand in for the first episode of Royal Pains, where I was the ballet dancer, like the double, you know. Um, so I don't know. I think I really made the switch as I, I love, you know, in high school, I was a drama major at LaGuardia, which is a performing arts high school. And I really loved, I think I discovered what it was to love acting in theater the first time that I was on doing like a scene in the black box theater, which was from Antigone. It was a scene between Ismini and Antigone and I was playing Ismini. And that was the first moment where I was like, wow, this is very cool. This is very special. And then I think I just went, I just kind of was flowing down a river and and just love I always came back to it though. And I think I first saw you in the King of Staten Island. I've got to say, I think Steve Buscemi's monologue is the best he's been. Yeah. At the fire station where he's telling yeah. the story yeah, yeah, about yeah. his dad. Cause I've I've loved Steve all my life, but he's always like creepy or a little bit tragic or weird. And I'm like, this is what he's Steve being Steve. The most like, himself he's been. adult, kind of. Yes, yeah. We're, yeah, no criminal background. <laughs> no awkward. Hold them. Like, yeah, I'm like, he's just giving a real fucking hard, almost like a speech from like a Cassavetes movie or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And totally. it was just so fucking pure. I was like, this is the fucking best he's been. It was so, and obviously he's a, was a firefighter himself. So it seems so. Exactly just so grounded and real that was how is that how how many takes did judd have you doing that guy loves he loves working stuff out that was so much fun that whole that that working on that 
Um, I probably had like a week and a half worth of like days of work. Um, I like what I loved was it was my first time working. I think it was my first time working with a director who was so experienced in what he does. Mm-hmm. And and he would he wouldn't cut the camera. He would kind of just yell out like things to um say, like to change, not things to say. Yeah. To change notes. And it kind of kept the adrenaline going, which um was really useful and really helpful. And it was my first time ever doing a dinner scene or a meal scene and what that was like with different camera setups. And uh, I was just... Oh, God. Did you, did you eat too much? I know, I know that's always a rule that people always say, don't fucking start chewing the steak because they'll bring you no, I think 15 I had, steaks. I had been warned. I think I had been warned. And I would just like maybe eat like one piece of lettuce per take. Um, I tend to find now that when there's eating scenes i don't so much eat in the take but i cannot help but eat between takes and people are so grossed out by this and they say you can't eat it's like prop food like you don't know how where it's been and like it doesn't deter me i haven't gotten sick yet i don't know what it is i just the food is in front of me it's comforting yeah exactly um but no yeah working with 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 judd was so special for me i mean that was like one of the like a highlight of my life being on that set. It was just all these veteran comedians. The cast was so nice, just so nice, so welcoming. Um, and so was, so was the whole production team. I mean, Judd was amazing. He would say, I would come to monitor. He would get me a headset. He was like, watch this. I was just so, I felt so, um, taken care of and like what an amazing foray into kind of the big Hollywood machine of filmmaking. So my friend created the show industry on BBC and HBO. Yeah. And he texts me, I, I'd always make jokes cause I was in my friend's music video for the Radiohead offshoot band. And then I was like, I'd always say something like, if you got a role in industry, let me know. Like maybe I could be a, um, a tech mogul who tries to bring back Blockbuster <laughs> or something. And I kind of be like joking, not joking, like give me a role. And he messaged me a few months ago saying, do you want to cuss out Jon Snow from Game of Thrones in a scene? And I was like, well, fuck yes, let's go. So he gave me this one role where I got a, I actually, I don't know if I can give away the plot, but anyway, I got to curse him out. And then as he's driving off and his, He's in his like big fancy Rolls Royce. And then the director was just said, cut. Okay, go again, but say some more stuff. Yeah. And I was and I was like, what? And she was like, just say some more. Don't just give him that one heckle. Try and rile him up and say more. And then I was like, all right, reset, go. And I was like, fucking hell. Yeah. The pressure is terrifying when you've got to suddenly t- turn on the juice. And I'm obviously... The cameras are rolling. There's 50 people watching you. And it's just like, as it's reminding me when you said Judd would just tell you to, you know, do more stuff. Yeah. It was kind of. It was kind but, of, it was kind of, you know, what was funny though, was that, so I grew up, um, I, I had a, a good amount of friends from Staten Island. And so I kind of knew who these characters were. And I kind of felt very legitimate in my place as like a New Yorker yeah. on this movie set about New Yorkers. Yeah. And it it kind of clicked for me. It was like such a beautiful, gentle entering of waters because if there was any sort of like you can improv, I was just kind of like, oh, I, I actually know these girls. I, I know. Right, yeah. Where it's not like, you know, you have to curse someone out. I would not be able to improv. Maybe I would. Maybe I'd find the rage in me. Yeah. Cursing someone out, man. I don't know. <laughs> It it was so funny because I felt like such an idiot afterwards. But the the um the creators messaged me and said, "We just saw your dailies. You were fucking great. All those lines you were coming out with." And then they're like, "Where did that come from?" And I'm like, "Can I be honest with you guys?" And I yeah, I said, "Okay, so two things. One, I watched Casino with De Niro a couple of days ago, and there's a bit where he's cursing someone out in when he gets taken to court." 
and because yeah. obviously the Jon Snow guy isn't like acknowledging me <laughs> he's trying to ignore me and De Niro says tell me you're at the casino at least give me that and so I I was doing the like at least look at me <laughs> but the other thing was I had to bang on the window of his car but I, I really love the Anne Hathaway movie The Intern yes and there's a really funny bit where De Niro bangs on the glass but he uses two hands it's like two big paws coming toward the glass and he's really dramatic and I was like so somewhere between Anne Hathaway and Scorsese I found my person and they're just like oh my god that's amazing that is amazing I know yeah you got to take inspo from anywhere is what I say exactly right. the movies inspire totally So let's talk about gummy films. Yeah. Because we screened um, Endless Sea yeah. on our last short film collection and our last showcase. And then we just screened Rachel's movie. Lemon Tree, yeah. Lemon Tree. You guys are killing it. There's nothing but bangers coming out. Yeah, we're like, trying. We're trying. I mean, I have to give so much credit to Rachel and Luca who... Um, you know, kind of really do the nitty gritty work of being on the ground in New York, producing all different kinds of things. Um, because now we have offices and, and so there's an overhead and, um, it's just very interesting to collaborate with, I mean, Luca, I've known a while since I was like a teenager, maybe my late, late teens, um, like 19 or 20, but, um, Rachel, I just met on what doesn't float. Cause she was friends with Luca and it's been very interesting kind of growing in our collaboration. Um, what kind of things do we want to continue to work on together? How can we push each other? And it's just in doing the work. It's just in making the work happen. Um, so sometimes it's just as producing things. Sometimes it's, you know, like with Lemon Tree, Rachel directed and Luca and I produced and kind of figuring out, you know, when we're working on, on an indie scale like this, you, 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 of, you wear multiple hats all the time. And it's been a very interesting experience to continue to grow as collaborators and workers. It's, you know, it's an interesting setup we have because we kind of started more as a collective because we all want to do such similar things. It's not like a production company where, you know, like for instance, I'm an actor. It's not, I'm an actor who started a production company. It's right. three of us came to it and all had different, came from different backgrounds and are now creating like an environment of where we can reunite our, our filmmaker friends um, and continue to kind of create things together. So the collective mentality still really, stuck i mean sticks it still kind of functions as a collective which is which is interesting um and works well for us for the time being so how did you start out and piece it together what was your first project that you guys all came together on? it's interesting because we had all worked we had all helped each other out on movies before like i know that luca helped edit rachel's thesis from bu Luca had helped me. He had shot a scene in New York for a short film that I wrote and was in um, that was mostly set in Paris. But then there was one scene in New York and he helped with that. So we had kind of collaborated together on other things. But then What Doesn't Float was an idea that literally came about because I was out to dinner with the writer, Shauna Fitzgerald, and uh, we were just talking and then we were going to go get a drink. We were going to get a drink and she was roommates with Luca and we ran into Luca when we were going to get a drink and he came and met us for a drink and the three of us sat in a backyard on a patio of the bar and Shauna had had these ideas for vignettes and Luca had really been wanting to get his hands into directing and I 
Shauna had said, you know, there's one of the stories I kind of have you in mind. And I was like, please, this is my dream is to work on like with my friends and just mm-hmm. make stuff. And I was kind of like, I'd be down to produce it to kind of help things get the get the ball rolling. And Luca was like, I also have a friend, Rachel, who's a really good producer. So the four of us were kind of working on what doesn't float. And from there, Rachel, Luca, and I really had this hunger to continue to produce and what other works can we make together? And that's really how it was born. It was born through what doesn't float. So I know normally people make LLCs for the movie. Like if you were, you're supposed to make like what doesn't float has what doesn't float LLC or like the company with it. But we didn't do that. We made what doesn't float and we had gummy LLC, which was the movies company but then grew into being something that also produced other works but that kind of have this similar run and gun vibe to them so how how is it you seem like you're kind of in the coolest way making up as you go along um i would think that's exactly what we're doing uh that's exactly how what i feel i'm doing I, i what's so great about working with Rachel and Luca is that I have no, I don't feel inhibited in any way. These are two people who can make stuff happen. And I can go to them. I'd be like, I have an idea. I have an idea. And they're like, okay, let's do it. Um, and I think the same goes for them. And that makes for a really uh, juicy creative environment because mm-hmm. we have no money. I mean, we're hoping to get, we would love to have like a benefactor or someone who could like help us, but really all the projects we're working on now is kind of, um how can we raise money for this how can we raise money for this what can we use right like whose house can we um film in or what shots can we steal here and that's kind of how our brain is working but the creativity comes with the restraints and of course um, yeah so that's 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 kind of how i feel that we're working right now and and also you know doing as much commercial work as we can get because that does help pay the bills of course yeah <laughs> but but that's so fun if it's also free and non-restrictive and stuff and there's no i find that's the most exciting yeah how was it picking the stories were there multiple stories that were thrown in that you will down um no i'd say that i think actually if my memory serves me well there were initially six vignettes and a seventh one was added i might be like totally wrong about that and maybe it was like we were thinking of adding an eighth vignette so that the runtime was a little longer because it's a weird runtime for what doesn't float it's like a little over an hour um but no the stories were i know that shauna had like specific stories based on her lived experience Mm -hmm. she's just such a good writer and she has such wit and like dark humor and it was just so amazing to see those lived experiences be put on paper i think maybe one or two of the stories is inspired from luca uh inspired by luca and his lived experience that she then put on paper um but i think those were the ones that we kind of had them all before we started shooting but this was like a while ago now so i might be wrong but i'm pretty sure we had six or seven stories and we knew we were going to shoot them yeah, I loved it. It felt like kind of Jarmusch, episodic kind of feel. I mean, that like short, like, like a big inspo. Yeah, and it, well, it's kind of funny. I from the opening scene with the um the trolley full of cans. Yes, and I was like, "This is going to be good." This is such <laughs> an strange opening. I, I I kind of have a gut when you see like a really weird opening or a slow. I'm I'm like, okay, this from the guy paddling down the river to the garbage i'm like okay i'm in sold <laughs> this is going to be good oh thanks and you guys have the most goated double bill of cinematographers i know uh, we're so lucky i kind of realized i i think to be to be an og cinematographer you need no instagram or social media presence none of those guys are off the, I, have to, I have to text them if i want to talk to them they're That's, off the group yeah yeah this is, there's got to be something in that. Yeah. I I might, I should take a page from their book, maybe. <laughs> um, oh, no, yeah. No, I I need the social media validation. I can't live without the <laughs> endorphin. Fuck my art. I just need to just feel so loved cool. and accepted. It's so cool. Yeah. They're, they're, they're so cool. I mean, Sean and Hunter are so cool. I feel very like, 
am I saying, do I sound like, how can I sound smart and nonchalant at the same time? That's yeah. when being around them. Yeah, no, I'm super intimidated by Sean. <laughs> I feel if you ask me what I've been watching recently, I'm like, uh, uh, don't, don't say the intern. <laughs> or say, you know, no, it's a seven hour Russian movie, bro. You got to see it on eight millimeter. Is there any way you can watch it? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Terrifying. But they're not, I, I should say for the record, but they're not like at all film snobs or is this is all my, I'm, I'm bringing all my own personal anxiety. It's your own anxiety. Yeah. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. That. Yeah. And I, I've maybe Hunter's best work on Lemon Tree. It looks like a, it looks like a 70s Dennis Hopper movie. I know. It's incredible. And being like seeing him work on Lemon Tree was just, it was kind of what I, uh, I dream of sometimes what I love about this kind of independent filmmaking where, you know, the DP is carrying the camera and is literally on the fly while it's rolling film. So it's like, you can't be like, um, wasting time. Yeah. Like, I have an idea. I have an idea. And Rachel's like, Oh, okay, that's great. Let's do that. And then Rachel's like, wait, wait do that again and do this. Like the, the communication flow was so impressive to watch and his kind of talent is so raw it's it's really it's like energetic in a way um it's uh, yeah the lemon tree is 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 beautifully shot beautiful and i think this is someone who really embarrassingly on a <laughs> movies podcast i know i know nothing about cameras or you know film and all this but when i watched lemon tree i was like this is beautiful i i I could feel the story better because of the way it was shot and that yeah completely especially with the nighttime scenes in the back of a car and stuff so beautiful and tender how did you guys did this i I, i'm obsessed with those close-ups of you on the bike when it's just your eyes and face how did you guys we um shoot you as a child along we had um we had sean sitting in the trunk of a car holding a camera and the car was driving ahead of us and we were following the car oh amazing it looks so good i love those close-ups those kind of details are really what yeah sometimes make movies for me yeah i look at that now and i'm like oh my god this seems crazy to be doing yes (laughs) so let's kind of go back to where we started to finish um we're talking about books wikipedia says you're an avid reader (laughs) is that what the word it uses it says you read one book a week so (laughs) just to let you know that's what you need to be keeping up with damn um I, 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 I love to read. I find extreme solace in reading. Um, so yes, I think I'm, I think I'm a reader. How have you retained your attention span after COVID? Something happened to my brain in COVID where my short attention span got even worse and I could read, I found now that I can read nonfiction like film bios or histories of movie, but my, my fiction life is really struggling. I was wondering, how, how do you not check your phone and well, see, watch a million TikToks well, and things like that? interesting because well, I'm not on TikTok, um, and, but I am on Instagram. I will often delete the Instagram app for days at a time, though. It's like, it just, it's, 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 it's not really a great place. Um, I... So a weird thing happened for me during the pandemic. I was alone for most of the pandemic, really alone. And I realized that I was going to go crazy and every day was the same. So I already for a few years had had a pretty strict regimen of waking up, um, reading for a little bit and writing. Writing was like my big thing in the morning. And what I decided to do in the pandemic was because our days were so long, was kind of prolong the morning stretch, my morning ritual. Mm -hmm. So my phone has never been in my room when I sleep. So I've always had a radio alarm clock. So I'd wake up 
and I would write the way I'd been doing for a few years, but then I would read. And I started getting into this habit of reading nonfiction in the morning. So the New Yorker often is like my, my go-to because it's analytical. It's not like, you know, the world is ending the way you can read on like news sites every day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I read that or any sort of nonfiction book that I was reading at the time. And then the day would happen and it was pandemic. So nothing was happening. And then at night I would read fiction and I kind of have just stayed in this routine, uh, which I greatly, which greatly impacts me. Mm. I, I love it. I find that when, I'm struggling to read a fiction book. What helps is to read a page turner fiction book and one that you'll read in like two days, you know, it's like so good. And then I can go back and like pick up maybe a little bit of a more difficult fiction book, but I'm already in the mindset. Um, But it kind of relaxes me at night. It's an, it's an escape tool really. You don't keep your phone in the bedroom. That's amazing. That's terrifying to me, but that sounds really okay. essential. Well, no, I, I like podcasts to go to sleep. I I, I want to like a very mellow. It doesn't wake you up because like you fall asleep, but then you still. The only thing that gets really weird is when whatever is being discussed on the podcast somehow seeped into my dream brain. And this is the conversation in the in my dream that's when it gets weird <laughs> this basically captures my entire personality I, I i'd never read the original sex in the city book but i love the show yeah so so i was listening to the sex and the city audiobook which ended and then the giant charles manson biography that i had on my audio oh my library so i i went from that to a, i was in a cull i was taking acid uh, you know yeah i didn't get to the murders but i was like what the fuck oh my god that's so i i i was in new york having cocktails and now <laughs> i'm scheming to murder sharon Tate. I was like, oh yeah. my god so I, but i've said it now to stop after my book not not just dig into my weird audiobook right. history <laughs> So that makes it. Who are your go-to authors? You know, right now I'm... So Edith Wharton is definitely my go-to author, like, that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm a big fan of... um, I'm a big fan of Tolstoy as well. I love Virginia Woolf. Um, I had never read um, any Mary Wollstonecraft but she's kind of the mother of like female literature, I dare mm-hmm. say. Um, so I'm starting to get into her. There's this um, author named Jacqueline Rose, who's like, like I want to say a philosopher, like a feminist philosopher sociologist. I've gotten really into her recently. Um, those are kind of some of my top go-to authors like if I see a book of theirs on the shelf I want to read it um yeah I'm very into there's a book that I've been I read a few years ago called The Right to Sex by Amya Srinivasan I hope I'm saying her name right um and I'm very into I like, I, I do like feminist literature. I do like, I, 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 as part of morning reads with like the New Yorker, I do very much enjoy the, it helps shape the world for me. So mm-hmm. um, if I, I'm, I, those, those are our some, some names that just pop into my head as I answer that question. It was funny you say that. I remember being at a party with this literature professor who did like this super elegant kind of Susan Sontag. She had like the white streak in the hair, so reminded of Susan Sontag. And she was like, who do you read? And when anyone asked me that, I kind of freeze up. And I was like, ah, 
And I was just thinking of what I was re- reading recently, and I was like, oh, well, I'm obsessed with Bryson Ellis. I love Philip Roth. I was reading some David Foster Wallace, and she, and I was like, maybe some Picard. She's like, asshole, man. I get it. And it's dismissed me, and I was like, wow. And then you sound like a douche in your back, going, no way. I, I, I read Joan Didion. You know, I, you know, I love Margaret Atwood. I love Flannery O'Connor. She's like, like, like those were your I, like I can see him just digging like stop trying to dig yourself out of oh, this like, it's such uh, a hard question to answer to because I also you know I love like right now I'm thinking of Hemingway and Fitzgerald and I love I love their books I mean I could I could read it also there's a book called The Dud Avocado by Elaine Dundee that's like one of my favorite books of all time but it is really hard when you like it, but it's what you like to read. I don't know. It's a hard question. It's, you know, it's like... The yeah, I kind of need to... There's, I don't know. Yeah, there's a certain type of prose or kind of compact minimal prose I really enjoy for something like... When it's really... I don't know. Like when Raymond Carver, you know, when he got all his stories cut by the... Uh, leashed the, the editor. Yeah. I was like, that's the kind of... I don't know. I feel that's the type of... Um, have you read Infinite Jest? Yes, I did it in three different. My friend said do it as three different books. Oh, interesting. But then it didn't come together for me in the way it it did. should. It I feel yeah. <laughs> but I, I really. But then, um, I'm friends with Brett Ellis, and he famously can't stand David Foster Wallace's writing although wallace originally said he was interviewed in, inspired by him but he said something really hard he said i think he's a journalist i i think he was a non-fiction writer and he's way better at that than he is a fiction but then there are some sections some lines in infinite jest which is just astounding and the yeah, that's what I language heard. and the turn of phrase is just knock you on your ass but i hear it's incredible the only book of his i've read is brief interviews with hideous men hideous men yeah there's a friend a friend of mine was very into the book and she re- highly recommended it and i just remember i really enjoyed reading it i really enjoyed some stories i liked more than others but i won't mm-hmm. forget there's one story where most of the story is in footnotes Oh my God, he loves the footnotes. Yeah, <laughs> Infinite Jess is like 300 pages footnotes and appendices. And I'm like, am I, do I skip this shit and keep <laughs> yeah. going? Or do I, like, or, like, am I a peasant? Should I, am I not absorbing it properly? Yeah, yeah, exactly. but, You're like, this seems optional if it's written so small at the bottom. Of the- I know. And the book's already fucking like, you know, it's 800 pages for I, I felt I'm disappointed. All my friends during the pandemic were attending an Infinite Jest book club where they'd meet wow. up once a month and you'd be, you know, you'd be held responsible to keep going. But then there was all these crazy, I remember reading when there's a bit of a backlash about him and a lot of people were saying that this character he created for himself of, you know, I've got the brain the size of a planet, but... I, I eat pop tarts and I just like trashy action movies and stuff. And I, I know there was like a famous thing where he's before a reading, he was saying, I get really nervous and I get a dry mouth. Wouldn't it be great if you could buy like a throat spray, which was like fake phlegm so you can have some phlegm in your mouth. Like, David, that's so crazy. You know, you're eating a pop tart. and But everyone says it was all just a, uh, a great act he was such a master manipulator which is very cynical but maybe maybe it's that maybe it's that i don't know i think he must have been very tortured i don't know much about him from what i hear about infinite jest though there are like passages that really predicted the world we live in currently yeah and that's a reason that i it's it's one of the books i want to attack attack is not the right attack's the right word yeah <laughs> one of the books that wrestle with yeah but it's um yeah maybe he was that much of a manipulator but he probably was pretty tortured also yeah no um, i to, to to be fair of course i think there's definitely some he i don't know but then i we we did a screening where we had a documentary of people it was a university documentary where the class was trying to do we judge the art of an artist was kind of an argument because there was all these reports from his 
ex-girlfriends and stuff saying that he was pretty terrifying but people were saying also but the work is so brilliant so we screened that and then we had a one hour interview with him this crazy one hour interview with like german tv which was just a one-on-one one hour conversation so it was kind of a fair balance you know it's a really good book um about what you just said is a book called monsters written by claire something i'm forgetting her name um and i really hope it's claire but it's monsters like uh, a fan's dilemma is the oh cool and it's a book about what you just said right the um how do you appreciate the art of a you know monster quote unquote uh yeah and I haven't yet dug it's on my bedside table it's one of my next reads but I'm so excited for it yeah that's very prescient yeah I am I love nuance I mean I'm all about nuance it's you know black and white is so uh, dangerous but um but I'm very excited to read that to to hear what the what the what the arguments are yeah that's so true okay we should wrap up yeah. I could ramble for yeah me too what's next what's next for gummy is there anything there are a few things in the works um i think uh rachel and luca um both have features that they're in the process of developing um and kind of trying to continue to get some commercial work in the meantime and then there are a few um, movies like this amazing uh, writer director named Ben Hosey has a, a feature film that we're going. I know Ben. Yeah, I loved I love PV Teacher. That yeah, was exactly so good. Um, and so we're we're producing, developing, and producing his next movie, which I'm very very excited about. Um, and there, that's kind of I, I think our biggest project. Um, yeah. And what about that maniac Peter Vac? When is his movie coming out? Oh, that's right. Rachel Ormont. Funny you should ask because I recently said, sent a message in the group chat and was like, where are we, Rachel Ormont? Right. <laughs> when, are we, when are we watching a cut of this? So I think, I think it's getting there, though. That was what I was told. Finally, do you shop new or secondhand books? I'm, I'm, I'm always getting trolled that I have to buy a certain edition of the book oh my god i don't pay attention to editions um okay maybe that like totally annuls me as a avid reader. no because because <laughs> as my girlfriend says the, the words are the fucking same why are you spending 40 pound yeah. more on the yeah um i try to buy secondhand books as much as i can i i love the knowing that this book was somebody else's and sometimes you find like things annotated or you know sometimes you'll get old library books or books oh that's the best yeah i I love when it's like a letter or yeah i love for older books you know i'm always trying to get secondhand for newer books i will go to the bookstore um but you know i don't order online ever anything cool so i because i like making a trip out of the things that i need to get and going to the bookstore is one of those special trips. Okay, that's a nice way to end on. I yeah. think I've I think I've already got some tools from this pod. Less phone, less Amazon yeah, orders. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay, this has been such fun to talk to you. Yeah, so much fun. I'm so like honored to be on your podcast. Oh wow, you you know the previous guest? You know yes. Oh my god. Oh. Yes. Oh. And, and I'm not really a podcast person. Really? Yeah. Okay. That that's even better. This is all staying in. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's great. I'm very honored to be here. So this was very fun. Thanks. Keep up the amazing producing, acting, reading, watching <laughs> phone, and all that. Thank you. Cool. Have a good day. You, bye. Boom. 
Bat with me and Pauline Chalamet. She is delightful. I urge you to go check out all the Gummy Films production stuff. They're doing great things. Okay, that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Joshua Eustace, aka Telephon Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music. And a quick favor if you enjoy the pod, like and subscribe. I've been told this helps hugely with getting the pod out there and putting it higher up on searches and stuff. And the pod will always be free, but the bigger the pod gets, the bigger the guests get. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak soon.